This is Innovating a Bright Future. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Innovating a Bright Future. I'm Avery Kreibold, as always, and this is the show where I walk you through the innovative and revolutionary technology driving climate action and laying the foundation for a sustainable future. Today, I'm talking to Simon Brueger from Cellform, and we're taking a look inside the hydrogen fuel cell. The story of Cellform is pretty interesting. They're a joint effort between a couple of well-established companies and they're leading the way to maximizing the efficiency to optimize the future of the hydrogen economy. I hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, today I'm excited to welcome Simon Brueger, the co-founder and CEO of Cellform. And Cellform is a company based in the Netherlands, developing products for the future of hydrogen and our renewable energy grid. So what is your mission, Simon? Thank you for having me. Great show, Avery. But we're actually situated in Germany, not Netherlands. Oh. <laughs> but clarifying. be very interested in the, in the information source. <laughs> To fix that. Well, that's a great way to start the interview. I have no idea where I got that from. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, Cellform is a startup company that is founded as some kind of spin-off company uh, with three existing companies. The aim of uh, making a significant contribution of the energy uh, revolution and the use of hydrogen uh, in specific uh, for a sustainable future and sustainable energy storage in that kind of way. We're focused on the area of future energy conversion uh, and the use of it, but it's fair to say very, very specialized. So we're working on the future of fuel cells uh, and electrolysis units, specifically uh, on the product called flow plate or, or bipolar plate. Okay, and when did your company actually start? So as, as we are a spin-off company, so officially founded uh, in 2020. Oh, it's okay. it's so a very new. very new company, but our activities go back to 2016. So we're a bit over five years um, in business. But as we are a spin-off company, it's it's hard to de determine when we actually started. But it started in 2016 right. at, at the mother company. Okay, I see. So as I was doing a bit of research for your company and looking at your website, one thing that struck me was that it was very sleek. The branding and everything was streamlined and elegant. Which kind of leads me to ask, what does it mean to seek excellence to you? To seek excellence is, for me or, or for us, is doing something that you are good at it in the area where you can have an impact. So this was our, our idea. We were not a normal startup company, to keep it like that. We have some, some expertise in the, in the areas of the, of the mother companies. For example, tool manufacturing or, or press manufacturing, and we want to transfer this onto onto something that is sustainable. It has an impact on on energy transition and nature conservation. It's for me seek excellence mean yeah getting the best out of existing knowledge and develop that in a changing environment. Awesome, great answer. You mentioned those couple of parent companies a couple times. Are you able to speak on what they were and what they were focused on? 
our main mother company, uh, the, the company where everything started is, is Gephardt. Gephardt is a tool manufacturer focused on, on a forming strategy. So how you can get a shaped product out of, out of a blank sheet of metal in a multi-stage process, step by step. Actually, in 2016, we started our first manufacturing of, of metallic bipolar plate, but I can, I can go into detail afterwards what is a metallic bipolar plate, but it's, it's also a formed product formed out of a thin sheet of metal, and the company is founded in the 60s, so it's yeah, older than we, we're, we two together in the end. But yeah, this experience and this expertise of the, of the company was transferred on this new product and transferred into, into fuel cell and hydrogen business with two other companies together. So the other company is, is Askea. Uh, it's also situated uh, in, the, in the southern part of Germany, so a few kil- kilometers away from, from Gephardt. And Askea is focused on welding processes, um, also very sophisticated welding processes. So we're talking about very thin foils welded together, which is a, yeah, a huge task in the end. Those two, two companies can produce the plates as we want them. And the third company is Hagel, and Hagel is on the press and automation part because bipolar plates are needed. Our estimation is they're needed in high numbers in the future. Uh, so we need a process that, yeah, that makes it possible to produce them at a very high cycle time or low cycle time. Okay, so quick aside, cycle time here basically just means the time that it takes to get units out. In this case, bipolar plates. Low cycle time means that the production is quick. We can get products out quickly. In order to produce them as cost-effective as possible, which is also very uh, combined for a sustainable future because it also needs to be affordable in the end. Okay, great. So there's a couple of different companies and processes that is going into Cellform. And I'm curious what parts of those companies are being used for Cellform. I think we'll get into that in a bit because before I can ask that, I guess I need to ask what exactly a bipolar plate is. I did some research and even though I did read a couple of things, I still have no functioning knowledge on the topic. So what is it and what does it do? Okay, so bipolar plates are are a central part of, of a fuel cell. These are very thin filigree plates, a bit like a sheet of paper only made of very thin metal or, or even graphite foil with very small formed channels on it. But to understand it, we, we need to start at, the, at the, what is a fuel cell. So the heart of a fuel cell is the fuel cell stack. This is where the electrochemical reaction takes place. In short, hydrogen and oxygen becomes water, heat, and most importantly, electricity to power the vehicle or, or to power anything that needs to be powered by the fuel cell. The fuel cell stack is, is a set of multiple individual mini fuel cells, so uh, stacked together, connected in series, um, and such a single cell is only a few millimeters uh, thick, but it is as big as a sheet of paper. So this cell consists of a bipolar plate on top and a bipolar plate on, on the bottom with a membrane in between and various other layers that I think that goes too much into detail, but bipolar plate as, as this very thin and filigree foil with deformed channels has the task to distribute the gases. So on the anode side, it's hydrogen, and on the cathode side, it's, it's oxygen, to distribute these gases throughout the whole cell to bring them into a, a reaction. Our experience and our, our projects into the direction to, to highlight the efficiency through the filigreeness of the channels. So we are working in the area of 
something that should not be possible when we talk about the parameters of the of the material itself. So we need to form very thin shapes. So to give you a number, the, the substrate thickness of the foils is only 0.05 millimeters. It's very, very thin, and we need to form very sharp channels inside of it. And this design freedom, pushing forward this design freedom to, to more filigree channels, actually increases the efficiency of the whole fuel cell by 5 or even more percent uh, of, of efficiency levels. Okay, so it's almost the delivery device to get those gases of hydrogen and oxygen into the fuel cell so that they can react and generate electricity. So how are they doing that now without using your bipolar plates? They're looking almost the same, the bipolar plates, these days. Uh, We have a couple of projects in in the industry in order to set some new standards of the design freedom of metallic bipolar plates. But we have a couple of other ways to manufacture metallic or, or graphitic bipolar plates. But our directions, so our targets of R&D projects are the design freedom in order to, yeah, to bring more efficient bipolar plates uh, or more efficient fuel cells uh, in the industry. And the other one is simply price. So not, no manufacturing approach on the market combines both the design freedom and the speed of, of uh, the manufacturing of, of bipolar plates. And actually, those are also the two main disadvantages of fuel cell. If you, if you compare a fuel cell to, uh, or a fuel cell vehicle, to keep it simple, a fuel cell vehicle, compare it to an to electric vehicle, so a battery electric vehicle, the two main disadvantages are actually efficiency. A fuel cell will never be as efficient as a, as a battery because you need to transform electricity into hydrogen, which causes some losses of energy, and you need to turn it back from hydrogen into into electricity. So we have a disadvantage in terms of efficiency, and they are much pricier than a, than a battery electric vehicle, actually. Those two targets need to be focused on, the, on R&D stuff in order to highlight also the, the advantages of, of fuel cell and hydrogen as, a, as an energy carrier itself. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I've talked about hydrogen before, and hydrogen versus batteries is a topic I get into with many of my guests, and we usually end up around the same place. Hydrogen has a lot of potential, but there's a couple things holding it back right now that we need to keep working on. (laughs) That's That's actually the point, yeah. It's not as simple as to just look on battery and look on, f- on fuel cell today. You also need to consider the advantage, for example, of, of battery uh, electric vehicles. So the battery itself has a focus for decades of R&D projects in the past. And fuel cell has a huge potential. And, you know, the, the, the conclusion that fuel cell is not as good as battery electric vehicle uh, from a perspective today, without considering the potential in the future, is, is not good <laughs> in the end. You need to consider all the potential of the hydrogen. And actually, I, we do see a lot, of, a lot of potential of hydrogen, even in, in the automotive industry. Right, yeah. A thing we talk about a lot is like large-scale shipping, trucking, and overseas shipping is something that is seen as a big opportunity for hydrogen. If you, if you look on the industry and all the mo- mobility sectors, Hydrogen makes sense when you have to transport high volumes. Transportation is a, is a sector that is, it makes sense to, to provide mobility in, in the transportation area with fuel cells. But if we talk about very micromobility, for example, so small vehicles, even small cars that needs a range of 100 or 200 kilometers, it completely makes sense to, to provide this with battery electric vehicle. 
But in between, we have a huge variety of, of mobility demands and different points that needs to be considered in the question fuel cell or, or battery. And I think both both uh, technology are needed for a sustainable future and the sustainable mobility sector, of course. Of course. Yeah, of course. That makes sense. So as we've talked about those three companies that have formed the basis of Cellform, and we've talked about the technology behind Cellform, how have those three companies in particular contributed to creating an efficient and effective design and production process at Cellform? The design freedom, so the efficiency increase, is something that is provided today for our customers or for the fuel cell stack manufacturers. And it's something that is, as we are a young company, that is something that needs to, yeah, to take its time uh, in order to, to adjust future stack generations to, to the new design freedom of metallic bipolar plates. But it's an ongoing process. We have a lot of stack manufacturers that consider this design freedom even today. But the high volume and the low cycle time is something that is project for the next few years. We talk about millions of bipolar plates. Those bipolar plates are not needed today, but they are needed in not even a decade. They are needed in three, four, or five years. These are the milestones ahead of us. So today, name it USP or, or the special R&D focus of cell phone, the design freedom. This is, this is our, our USP today, but in the future, it's a, it's a low cycle time, of course. Okay, and how exactly would you define design freedom? So if you if you look on the on the on the bipolar plate, you have the flow field, which is the area of the, the active area where the where the electrochemical reaction takes place. Seventy up to eighty percent of, of the whole surface of the bipolar plate is actually the flow field. And if we talk about the design freedom, we talk about the design freedom of the flow field. And the design freedom or the filigreeness of the flow field is something so we talk about very uh, long straight mostly straight channels the first parameter of the design freedom is the channel pitch so the space between the channels when when the next channel begins with uh, with its same geometry so this is something that needs to be reduced dramatically we talk about one millimeter so over one millimeter channel pitch is something that can be done with uh, with other projects on the market but under one millimeter is something that is really hard to achieve, almost uh, impossible to achieve. And uh, our internal uh, R&D projects, for example, go into the direction of this channel pitch of under one millimeter. And we also talk about the deepness of the channel. This needs to be as, as high as possible. And the radii of the channel needs to be as sharp as possible. All those targets are causing some cracks, obviously, in R&D projects inside the, the substrate thickness and these are the, the, the focus to, yeah, to eliminate those cracks and, and to push forward this design freedom. Right. So when I'm imagining this product, I imagine a very thin metal sheet with little indent river type of things that you allow the hydrogen and oxygen to flow through. So I imagine when you're making those grooves closer together and deeper, it's allowing those chemicals to flow into the cell faster and then they can react faster. Am I on the right track at all here? No, we're actually more talking about the amount of, of hydrogen that leaves actually the cell. This is, this is something that needs to be reduced. So you, um, you float your, your anode side from the beginning of the plates with a lot of hydrogen. And this hydrogen needs to come into contact with the, the catalyzer. Um, I hope I pronounced this well, but yeah. uh, the catalyzer yeah, yeah, yeah. in order to come into reaction. And just if it comes into reaction, it can produce electricity, of course. 
and this is this is the target. It's not the target to float the the um, the the anode side with uh, as much as possible of of hydrogen of the uh, of of the starter gas, but it's the transformation throughout the whole flow field needs to be as high as possible. So the reaction rate needs to be as high as possible. So this is this is something we call efficiency. Okay, so it's almost like increasing the surface area that's available for the reaction to happen. Is that a better way to put it? Yeah, this is uh, actually it, it. Not only that, but most of it is is uh, actually the surface, and the surface also causes um, the possibility of of higher amperages, of course, for example. So you can run higher amperages inside the stack. Okay, great. All right, I think I have a better idea of what it does now. <laughs> <laughs> so, quick aside, because that was a lot of words, and I just want to make sure you're caught up on what the heck is going on. So from the perspective of someone without a degree and zero hands-on experience, here it is. Self-form makes bipolar plates. Bipolar plates are the location at which reactions occur in hydrogen cells. This is where the water, oxygen, and hydrogen are either created or destroyed. The more surface area, the more reaction can occur. They are very, 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 very thin sheets of metal with little grooves in them where the chemicals can situate themselves and react. It's an essential piece of the hydrogen cell. Bipolar plates that have this function exist. When Simon talks about offering design freedom as his USP, what he's saying is that the selling point of his company's products is the capability to make something that isn't available right now. That something is bipolar plates that can be made more efficient by making the space between those little grooves in the plate smaller so the grooves are closer together, and making the grooves deeper so the reactions can happen faster and more efficiently. When he says his USP is also low cycle time, it basically means that they can produce these plates on a large scale very quickly. So what are these plates made out of? I mean, I know they're metallic, but what kind of metals? Normally they're, uh, they're stainless steel. We have also a lot of projects with titanium, but titanium is, is of course has a higher price. And we also have for aviation purposes, so aviation stacks, um, also aluminium. Okay, so are there any restrictions on these metals that make you use one over the other? I mean, there must be if one of them is titanium. It's just too expensive to use just for fun, I guess. So we talk about the how, how long can a bipolar plate last in inside the process. So we have a corrosive uh, atmosphere inside inside the fuel cell stack. So Plates are normally need to be uh, coated, so we have a coating layer on the on the surface of the bipolar plate, pre-coating or post-coating, both is possible. But the coating uh, has the purpose or has the task to make the stacks run longer. We talk about several thousands of of operation hours, and titanium has uh, a lot of potential there to run longer. Also in in electrolyzer stacks, for example, titanium is the material that is chosen in the most most of the projects. But we also have a huge potential in transforming titanium into stainless steel uh, with the right coating, achieving the, the exact same performance inside the stack and reducing the cost dramatically. So normally throughout the whole industry, it, it, it goes to stainless steel, but we also, have, we also have titanium. And aluminium, of course, in aviation stacks has the advantage of, uh, of weight. Right, which does make a big difference when you're trying to fly something. Of I course, guess. and the stack are yeah, you need you need a, a high number of individual cells in order to to fly uh, an airplane. Of course, 
so aluminium has a huge impact um, in terms of the weight of the whole of the whole plane. Perfect. Okay, so we talked a little bit briefly about how we can use this. It seems like after learning more about your bipolar plates, that it will be used in every single application of hydrogen that we will see in the coming years. But are there specific use cases that you can see your technology being the most helpful or the most effective in? The higher the need, better efficiency, the more uh, needed is the cell phone technology, obviously. So if we, if we look at our projects today, we have normally the um, fuel cell applications for, for mobility sectors. Um, so, so cars and trucks, even forklifts, all, all the mobility uh, sectors and transportation sectors are yeah, some, some field of application of the technology. Yeah, anything that moves. Yeah, because if you if you have a stationary system, it, it it's only a matter of of the costs. If you if you make thicker bipolar plates, and if you make the bipolar plates thicker, our technology is nothing nothing too fancy. Uh, if you have a, a thicker substrate, you can also form the channels with with any other uh, forming approaches. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Hydrogen is being looked at as something primarily for energy storage, whether that's grid scale storage or fuels like you're looking at. Along with batteries, those are the two options for energy storage when we're looking at implementing renewable energy. One of the problems with batteries is that it costs a lot of money, energy, and actually greenhouse gases to produce batteries. So how are you approaching your production at Cellform to be as sustainable and climate conscious as possible? To question itself, uh, the production side our parent companies um, have been uh, practicing sustainability production for decades. So we have, for example, um, at Gephardt, we opened 2016 our new production site uh, for for two parts, uh, where we managed to fully air condition an area of 1,700 uh, square uh, meters throughout the year and increase the accuracy of our products and also operate self-sufficiently uh, by using solar power and and the complex heat exchanger yeah we, we're doing a lot of work in order to to keep us uh, as sustainable as possible also go into detail into into the, the the energy storage area this is actually so if we not talk about the production side of cell phone but but more about how we can store energy in the future this is actually the question that to be highlighted because in an energy transition where we where we have to go through in the next years and decades, the main disadvantage, if we look back into, into the past, into where, where energy is produced compared to sustainable energy production, the main disadvantage is actually that the place and the time where energy is produced and the place and the time where energy is needed is completely different. So we have wind, we have, we have solar power, et cetera, et cetera. This takes place not, not at the time and at the place where we actually need energy. So we need an energy carrier that, that can store energy throughout a long period of time, which can be transported as easily as possible. And in, in our eyes, and I think it's, it's fair to say that hydrogen is the only option to do so. And in the future, it's actually, it's not, it's not easy to, to use hydrogen today because uh, in Germany, I don't know what the, what the situation in America is, but in Germany, you simply can't get green hydrogen today. So hydrogen is only a byproduct out of uh, methane, for example. It's, it's not really green. It's not really sustainable today. But in the future, we need those, those uh, way of, of storing energy, storing energy when the sun shines and uh, using energy when the sun does not shine. I think actually this is the main advantage of hydrogen. 
Yeah, I definitely agree with that. That's the best selling point that hydrogen has over batteries, that it can be easily transported and used, whereas batteries are very hard to move. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, and they're scale. they're hard to recycle, and they're uh, yeah, it's it's not pretty scalable. Um, so if you have a place where you can produce energy almost limitless, it's it's not really good to to, to store it inside a battery. Perfect. So my last question has a bit less to do with your actual company and more just in general. I'm not sure how many times efficiency has come up already in this conversation, but it's been a lot. So looking at the world as a whole, what are some of the biggest inefficiencies that you see that we need to improve on? Very interesting question. <laughs> because, because our world is packed full with inefficiencies. But for me, of course, the, the mobility sector is, is the focus of, of my way of thinking in Germany. Uh, and I think worldwide, with, we simply have, have too many cars. They either go to work in the morning with just one person in, in five seats or stand around for the rest of the day. Models such as uh, shared mobility or, or mobility as a service uh, may have an impact on that. But the, the combustion engine alone, uh, if we talk about the technical perspective, it's it's uh, so the combustion engine alone is is inefficiency itself. Uh, so it's insane when you think about what an internal combustion engine does on on a technical perspective. The high energy material is 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 ignited with petrol or diesel, and and only the change of of the volume inside the the, the engine is used to drive the vehicle. And eighty percent of the energy is completely wasted to heat and uh, not used. And this is the best idea of of mobility uh, over over hundred years actually. So mobility sector is, is something that is very, very inefficient almost for over, over 100 years, actually. Yeah, that really is crazy when you think about just how much energy is being wasted for our internal combustion engine cars. Yeah, 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 you fill up, you fill up your energy with those uh, yeah, liquid gold and you just uh, put a flame on it and, and use only the change in volume. It's, it's yeah. insane, actually. <laughs> I think that's a perfect way to round out our longer conversation today. I just have a couple of shorter questions for you if you've got the time for it. Yeah, sure. All right, my first question is, in transportation, and we talked about this a bit already, how do batteries and hydrogen compete and how can they work together? So they can work together in in some kind of combined engine, for example. Uh, so every fuel cell vehicle actually has a, has a small battery inside of it because you can't directly drive. You can directly drive, but it's not efficient. Directly drive the fuel cell uh, or the powertrain on the fuel cell. So you have a, a battery in between and you can simply scale up this battery uh, and reduce the amount of, of uh, single cells for a fuel cell, for example, and just adjust the way you need inside your, uh, your vehicle, for example. So this is a pretty good application where, where those two technologies can work together. And I think we have to step a few steps back uh, on the discussion between battery and, and fuel cell. It's, in Europe, it's the guys almost hate each other. So the one that like energy, uh, battery, they, they hate fuel cell. And the other way around, and this is not—I uh, use the word again—not efficient uh, for for a sustainable future. So we need to take uh, out the best of each of each technology and combine it and and work together. I totally agree. I like that question because it delves into the benefits and drawbacks of each. But I definitely agree that the best solution that we have 
is a bit of both. There's no 100% solution to that. My next question is, what do we need to pursue for a more renewable and sustainable energy grid going forward? Energy generation, building out solar and wind plants, or researching better energy storage, whether that takes the form of batteries, hydrogen, or some other storage method? I would say the, the, the energy storage, because, um, yeah, it's, it's the main problem when we talk about sustainable energy production and use in the future. We have enough, enough energy, but we don't have it at the spot and the time we need it. So we need some kind of technology, feasible kind of, of storage. Right, yeah. My next question is very related to that question. Do you think that one of the main things, maybe not the only thing, but one of the main things holding back renewable energy is energy storage? And if not, what would that be? Mm-hmm. That's that's a good question. I think it's 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 simply money today, because if you look on the uh, on the industry, those those companies that can afford a sustainable energy use, Amazon for example, or or, or Apple, they build up uh, fuel cell plants actually in the Netherlands. But it's it's something you you need to be able to afford today. Yeah, it's not greenwashing because they do it actually, um, and it has an impact, but it's uh, it costs millions of dollars. And uh, this is something that a normal company, if we don't look on Amazon or Apple or Google, just a normal company, which don't have the, the amount of money those companies have, just can't afford it. Um, so this would be uh, the main problem to solve, make a sustainable energy future affordable. Okay, great answer. And I think we're on the right track for that. I mean, it's getting cheaper all the time, right? Yeah, it's, it's work in process, um, but it's also a matter of time. As far as we make it achievable or affordable, the sooner we can we reduce our emissions and the faster it gets. We are on our way. Um, and I, I don't doubt that we, that we will achieve it. It's, all, it's only a matter of when we can achieve it. it. It can't take decades and it needs to be reduced as much as possible in terms of time. And the cost reduction has, has the biggest impact. I mean, the technologies are available today. I think we have a broad variety of, of, of different applications but it needs to be affordable. This is the the problem. Right. Yeah, I agree. My next question is simply, what is your favorite part of your job? The favorite part of my job is to do something that I want to do, to do, to combine actually my technology background with freedom. Yeah. Set up a new company and also have the power of, um, of our mother companies in the, in the background. So, I'm very happy actually to to be uh, at Cellform and to to set up or have an impact um, on the future with some some huge expertise. I think this brings brings us back to the beginning of our conversation. I think every company which has a past and and which has an experience needs to to question itself what what can have an impact in the future. And this is the yeah the best the best part of my job actually. Great answer. I really like that answer. I have one more question for you today. Based on your personal experience, do you believe that we can still reach the goals set out by the Paris Agreement and the IPCC? Is that still possible? If we talk about Paris, uh, the 2-degree target or the 1.5-degree target or even lower, I think the 2-degree target is possible, but the core of of Paris was a 1.5-degree. 
and this is very hard to achieve. I'm I'm actually not an expert in the in these numbers, but the industry is is too slow to be honest. So the the transformation is very very slow and it speeds up day by day, but it's something that can be done, of course, but I mean we all need to need to dedicate our work to it. For sure, for sure. I believe that it can be done. It's going to take a lot of work and it's going to take everyone very actively participating to make it happen or else we just aren't going to get there. But I believe it can happen. Yeah, so the yeah, we we it's it's not that we can lay down and say okay, we can achieve it and it's also not a situation that we that we can say oh, it's 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 not possible. We we're never going to make it. It's something in between. <laughs> And it's hopefully something that, that brings the, uh, the drive that we need to solve those problems. For sure. That's a great way to end our conversation today. Where can listeners find you and Cellform to learn more about this? Um, mostly on, on LinkedIn. So you can just connect with me directly or with our uh, Cellform page and obviously our, our homepage. Or, or just yeah, just just text me uh, directly on LinkedIn if you have any questions or, or uh, if you want to discuss anything. I have always always an open ear. <laughs> Perfect, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Simon. This has been a very educational experience. I'm happy to say that I now know more about bipolar plates than I ever have before, and I'm sure listeners will be the same. So, thank you so much for making the time to talk to me. Thank you so much for the invitation and the discussion. Uh, I also listened to a lot of to a lot of episodes on your podcast, and uh, I, I recommend them to all my friends. You did a great job, actually. The most important thing in our time is is to talk about the pop, uh, topics you are addressing, and uh, because yeah, you, we need to we need to involve everyone, and uh, this is, can only be achieved uh, through some channels you you are providing. What a great episode. Another big thanks to Simon for joining me and teaching me about bipolar plates and how we can make them better. This conversation kind of opened my eyes to the complexity of the energy sector. There are so many pieces, millions of pieces of technology, hardware, and software that go into a functioning energy grid. And there's still so many places that we can work on, improve, and make more efficient and sustainable. I want to super reinforce one thing that Simon said. And that is to simply talk about climate change. I do this personally. I make it a point to bring up climate change in everything that I do, whether I'm just talking to friends or family or presenting at a climate conference. Talking about climate change is the most important thing that you can do to get involved because it opens you up to educate yourself, others, and it can also get you involved in action projects that other people may be working on. I just wanted to hammer that point home because it's the easiest possible thing you can do for climate change, and it's also one of the most effective. Last thing for today, our Patreon is still open for voluntary patrons. You choose a monthly contribution to the show, and anything you choose to contribute is very much appreciated. You can find that at patreon.com slash innovatingabrightfuture, or just follow the link in the show notes. That's everything for today. There's two more weeks of episodes left and season two is over. So stick around for the grand finale of this season and I'll see you next week. Stay innovative.